Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinsing, episode 420. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 420. Our first sponsor thanks today goes to Farmers Web. Farmers Web software makes it simple for flower farms to streamline working with their buyers. By lessening the administrative load and increasing efficiency, Farmers Web helps your farm save time, reduce errors, and work with more buyers overall. Learn more at farmersweb.com. Our theme for 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, continues today with Terry Barr of Wild Lark Farm in Claremore, Oklahoma. Listen for my conversation with Terry in the second portion of this episode. I recorded this week's episode while attending the 2019 Society of American Florists Conference on Amelia Island in Florida. Before I left Seattle to take this journey, I remember thinking to myself, I hope I find a great guest there to invite onto the Slow Flowers podcast. And guess what? That is exactly what happened. On my first morning in Florida, I was seated in the back row of a presentation on editing photos for social media. I struck up a conversation with a woman seated next to me as we compared notes on Instagram. I leaned forward to look at her name badge and read Pamela Parker Tucker, J.P. Parker Flowers, Indianapolis, Indiana. Pam, I exclaimed, it's so nice to meet you. I'm Deborah Prinzing of Slow Flowers. I had a pretty good idea that she would know who I was because we have a mutual friend, Joe Ellen Myers Sharp, a longtime professional colleague and friend through my garden writing life. Joe Ellen is a popular Indianapolis garden writer, editor, and columnist, and she had told me about Pam Parker, a very successful florist in her city who also owned a local flower farm. It was Pam Parker. Well, once we figured out our connection, Pam and I continued the conversation. That led to her agreeing to join me on the Slow Flowers podcast. Here's a bit more about Pam's story excerpted from the J.P. Parker Flowers website. After working in the floral industry for 13 years in Minneapolis, Pam returned to Indiana to live on the family farm. A third-generation farmer, Pam developed her love of flowers and growing from her deep Indiana roots. J.P. Parker Flowers was born when her sister Janet became her first employee. They began growing flowers such as sunflowers, alliums, and zinnias on the family farm. While Pam enjoyed growing flowers, she missed the corporate and event floral work she had been involved in in Minneapolis, where she had produced major projects for clients such as General Mills and worked as a personal designer for the Pillsbury family. 
1986, Pam decided to follow her passion and return to event and corporate flowers. As you'll hear us discuss in this episode, J.P. Parker Flowers made its local debut in the event industry by decorating Indianapolis's historic Union Station. The executives of Union Station had invited a handful of talented designers from across Indiana to compete for a highly sought-after opportunity to decorate the venue for the holidays. With nothing more than a mind filled with ideas and a briefcase in hand, Pam beat out the competition and landed the contract. In a few short months, she and Janet assembled a makeshift team, and they handily completed this enormous task. With the well-deserved recognition for their decor and design work at Union Station, J.P. Parker Flowers truly began to blossom. Among their decor accomplishments, the Pan Am Games and the 100-year anniversary of the Columbia Club. After opening a storefront first in Franklin and then branching out to Indianapolis location in 2008, they continued their success with numerous corporate clients and wedding and event customers. And after several exciting years, Pam felt she had come full circle when she returned to Union Station to produce a large event for the Super Bowl in 2012. Pam is still the owner of J.P. Parker Flowers, but the crew has grown to 26 talented designers and dedicated employees. The goal of J.P. Parker remains providing beautiful custom designs and excellence in customer service with a personal touch. On top of all of this, J.P. Parker Flowers is deeply rooted in Indiana's agricultural history. Part of Pam's heart and love of flowers resides at her family farm, where literally thousands of flowers grow each year. The flower farm is filled with local blooms during the growing season. In addition to sourcing local flowers from the Parker family fields, J.P. Parker Flowers buys from other area flower farms too. I'm delighted to welcome Pamela Parker to our Slow Flowers community as she has just joined us as a new member. You can see photos and follow links to J.P. Parker Flowers social places in today's show notes for episode 420 at DeborahPrincing.com. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so delighted today to introduce Pamela Parker of J.P. Parker Flowers in Indianapolis, my oh, guest thank today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for sitting down with me. It's a pleasure, always a pleasure to talk about my passion, which is flowers. Well, listen, I've had you on my radar for a while, and, and we just have to tell the listeners, I'm at the Society of American Florists Conference in Florida, and I'm sitting next to this lovely woman yesterday, and we start chatting about Instagram. <laughs> and then I looked at your name tag, and you looked at mine, and we're like, hey. Oh, and <laughs> vice versa. I've just been following you and intrigued by you, and of course, I... I'm a lover of of growing and uh, have all, have been throughout my whole life actually and yes slow flowers basically. well you just you just joined slow flowers and I'm so delighted and I was like Pam can we put you on the podcast and you said yes thank you you're welcome you're such a unique uh, your story is so unique because of your um, excellence in retail floristry but also your expansive growing operation and I don't think uh, I don't think uh, many people have both they're maybe strong in one or the other which is one reason I wanted to talk to you um, 
Give us a snapshot of J.P. Parker Flowers and, you know, what it is in your space in Indianapolis market. And, um, like, what are all your channels of business that you're doing? Okay. Um, I think that our company really came out of two experiences in my world that were rather uh, accidental. But one, of course, was my upbringing Mm -hmm. as an Indiana farm girl. (laughs) And so you're a Hoosier. I'm a Hoosier. Yes. <laughs> Great. My and, mother is too, by the way. Oh, well, she must be wonderful. <laughs> she is. <laughs> um, and my family was interested in horticulture. Um, my my grandfather on our farm, which I now live on, um, family farm. Oh, my goodness. We had cherries. We had um, grapevines. We had... Mock orange, we had lilacs, we had a lot of different product that he grew, which I was intrigued by them as a child, and I would design with them. Really? It, was he growing for the floral trade? No. Okay, was, just he, as a gardener. Okay. Horticulture interest. Mm, okay. Um, and I, I have an aunt who is growing for the trade in the chrysanthemum. And I think that I I grew up with people who were growers and loved the earth. Mm -hmm. And um, then they they went into horticulture hobby, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Kind of just more of a life passion. Right. And when I went to Minnesota, to the University of Minnesota, um, I was intrigued. By growing there, I also, it seems like I've always grown something. So I did Asiatic lilies, and of all things, I did onions. Now, that's crazy. And wait, what did you, did you study horticulture at University yes, of Minnesota? and art. Oh, my goodness. Okay, it's all coming together now. Yes. Um, you were growing Asiatic lilies, what, in like a greenhouse setting, or? No, everything I've grown so far has been field crops. Okay, okay. And I'm... I met a hybridizer of lilies, and actually, backing up a little bit, um, a mentor of mine is Dr. Leon Snyder, who was one of my professors at University of Minnesota, and he introduced me to a lily hybridizer who happened to have thousands of little lilies that he produced out of, (laughs) yes, and I started a lily nursery. And then, uh, which led to me growing 5,000 bulbs, which led me to putting them in my van and taking them to the local markets, wholesale markets. Well, this is like when you're right out of college? In college, actually. I was Entrepreneurial. Yes. Wow. I I was really interested in growing. Hmm. Um, but I needed to do something else for money, actually. Yeah. yeah, right. So I went to work for probably one of the best florists, um, in fact, two during my career and time in Minneapolis um, that were very good mm-hmm. and high-end. And so I, there are two worlds, two very different worlds. I, I, I did learn that I love design. Yeah. And I had... I had so much experience in, well, I know how to keep a lilac fresh. Yes. And I know how to to work with vines because I've been working with vines my whole life. It's part of your childhood. Yes. Wow. And, 
And so. the art is in there somewhere too, right? Oh, yes, definitely. Okay. And which is important. Mm-hmm. I think now, you know, the the design elements are so important and, and something that I like bringing into our staff. You know, we, we really want to make sure that we have balance and we have all those design elements. So it all came together, wow. and I was so fortunate that it all did come together. So in Minneapolis, after graduation, you had um, done you know done some growing, but you worked for these wedding were they studio florists or retail they florists? Were large retail florists? Okay, and that's really where you uh, kind of cut your teeth on production and large scale events, that sort of thing. Yes. Okay. In fact. Uh, they were doing things that I probably couldn't have the background in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I ended up working for some of the old money of Minnesota um, and some of the big events of the shop that, that and the shops. There was, I started with one and then was hired by another one, but they did enormous events so I got that experience. Right. I was thrown into the fire, which right. I loved. Yeah. And then at some point, Indiana, Indiana called you back and Indianapolis called you back. And, and when, was that about 15 years ago? or Actually, no. It was, it was uh, in the early 80s. Oh, okay. Oh, and, wow. And my father passed away young. Mm. And um, my mother found herself being lost yeah absolutely lost there was so much that was overwhelming to her on running a farm so my sister and myself I, I moved back mm-hmm. and my sister and I myself decided to well in fact I said to her let's grow some other crops what was the family farm growing mostly? It was all soybeans and corn. Which is like a real Indiana it crop, was, right? It was, yes. Okay. And so you decided to mix it up. Right. I. Uh, her name is Janet. Uh-huh. Thus, we had to develop a company, so that's J.P. Parker. Oh, my goodness. Janet, Pam, and then Parker, okay. our family name. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you had, like, you're, we're using your middle name for the business, but Janet is the J. Janet's my sister. Okay, great. So, first of all, we did corkscrew willow, and we that's when we did plant the over 1,000 peony plants. Wow. Um, so, they, these are mature peony plants. At, we did only the eyes. We did the small little roots, little roots, and dug the holes. And no, but I mean, to, today they're very oh, mature, they're right? very mature. I yes, mean, there's. I mean, peonies are some of the most long lived perennials, right? They're wonderful. Wow. So you you mix it up with Janet, and but you didn't really. Did, were you just doing this to kind of be on the farm with your mother? But you hadn't. You you didn't have a big strategy for opening a retail store or what like how did that evolve the retail store i i think first i i actually saw what was going on in indianapolis it all of a sudden became what i had seen go on in minneapolis Mm, mm -hmm. union station opened there was a city center and there was a, a the train station where 
was looking for a, a design idea for the holidays. And I knew that, and I thought, I have an idea. For decorating for it. For decorating it. And you also had confidence because you've and been kind of doing I, that level of event, right? I had everything but a team. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a briefcase. Oh, my goodness. Basically. So you went in and pitched an idea? I went in, pitched it, and got it. And I, I, to this day, remember walking out and thinking, Pam, what have you done? Because all of a sudden, I had to train people. And by, this was August, and we had to have it installed by Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. which means we had to buy, they gave me the whole job. Wow. And was this, is the the train station, I've been to that train station Mm -hmm. in Indianapolis. It's like the hub of the city, right? And is it used more for um, retail and gatherings and restaurants as sort of like a downtown venue or is it still at a functioning train station? In the beginning, actually in the beginning, it was just turned over to retail. Okay. And that's when Bob Bournes, who was the mastermind behind purchasing it or making sure that he was the head of developing mm. a beautiful mall. Okay. And now it's it has some retail. Okay. It's a beautiful event space, yeah. too. Wow. So they just wanted to put on a big show right. for the holidays. Right. So it, the scale didn't scare you. The scale, I didn't think I'd get. Oh, I oh, thought I, I would get a piece of it. Oh, I see, like a little, a little. Uh, like yes, I thought the floral well, element they won't only. Give this all to me, <laughs> and but they did, and I had bid. I thought, well, I'm going to bid the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bid the outside and the inside, and because I have ideas for all of it. Wow! But you know, I'm thinking there because there were quite a few people who were you know, giving them ideas. And it was quite a competition, actually. So I thought they would divide that up. But no, they gave me the whole thing, And which I, I'm quite proud of the fact that we actually pulled it off quite well, and I did it with housewives. Wow. I Like tri- your tribe. Our, my tribe. I, I did rent a building, and it was very... Not a very nice building, not a very nice neighborhood. And I brought in all sorts of aunts and cousins, and I said, we have a job to do, and this is going to be your job. You're going to stick poinsettias into this basket. And <laughs> <laughs> so wow. you know, it ended up that we were a success, and it, I love that story to this day because... I think it's such a, a story about how if you really set your mind to something, you can do it. So that was the birth of J.P. Parker Flowers and, and kind of put you on the map in it, your... Oh, very quickly. Wow. What was the theme, by the way? The theme was actually the architecture is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And my whole concept was I do not want to put trashy stuff in here Mm -hmm. that takes away from this beautiful, beautiful architecture. So the theme was really kind of a classy lighting, Mm -hmm. garland. Uh, We had wreaths. 
But showcasing that but space. But showcasing yeah. the space and wow. not taking away from it. We did one large Christmas tree that I made out of nine Christmas trees that oh I gosh. stashed in the middle of the fountain, you know, the fountain in the very middle of the the Grand Hall. But it, I think the theme was make the make it look holiday and beautiful, mm-hmm. warm, but not not a lot of stuff. Right. I didn't want to kind of a, a, a restrained palette. It was very restrained. Yeah. Lots yeah. of gold. Yeah, uh, we did have the Grand Hall has two stories and a beautiful balcony that goes around the the Grand Hall, and I we made bows, golden bows that were at least like six foot wide. Oh my gosh. And well, yeah, you had was to. very custom done. And my elderly aunts, I would put them in a chair upstairs and they would be gluing on pears on garland. And it was beautiful. That's I mean, so it, neat. It turned out it's my favorite picture in the whole world. Oh. Is a, a picture. We actually ended up being on the front of a, a shopping mall magazine with the Grand Hall. Wow. So Wow. And so fast forward to today, you have two retail outlets. One is your main store is in Indianapolis. Yes. And that's the most established location, is that correct? It is. Okay. It's it's the store that is the most a billboard mm. because it's right by Lucas Oil Stadium. But when I Loved that building. I fell in love with the building first. The stadium went there. Oh, and is that the stadium where some professional sports team plays? or The Colts. Oh, okay. Yes. Sorry to share my sports ignorance No, here. no, that's quite all right. All right. Um, it, it is quite a beautiful stadium, a brand new stadium. And here you are next to it? Yes. Oh, my goodness. But we came first. Yeah. And yeah. then... You know, this is the luck of the Irish woman, I think. Okay. Because, you know, here I picked this building that is just absolutely beautiful 1800s. Looks very French. And they start building this huge stadium. I mean, how how nice is that? Wow. And we, we, did, we were able to do most of the work for the Super Bowl. Right, I saw that. So the Super Bowl was in Indianapolis. 2012. Okay, and you were like the florist to the Super Bowl. We were one of holy cow, one of the main florists, wow. yes, which there were only about three. Well, there was a lot of there, moving parts for that, right? There was a lot of moving parts, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about working for the NFL or working for the, the main parties that went on sure. in downtown all the but big sponsors once yeah. we landed the certain parties for the nfl well then pepsi wondered who was doing that party so we would work for pepsi and nbc and cbs and in fact it got to a point where we we thought how how much can we handle but there again it was kind of back to Union Station days, <laughs> girls, we got this. <laughs> you pulled it. You pulled in all your all your your tribe, yeah, even non-employees, right? Oh yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's so. Oh wow. Um, the luck of the Irish is the one thing, but being. 
talented and, and having this can-do attitude has gotten you very far as well. Um, Crazy. You have your second store you said is in Franklin. Is that where your farm is also or? Our farm is in between Franklin and Shelbyville. Of course, it's, it's in the country. How far outside of Indianapolis is that? Actually, not as far as you would think. Okay. It's about a 35-minute drive to the airport. Okay. Um, the same to our Indianapolis shop. We do have a shop in Franklin, which is in the same county as our farm okay. is. Okay. Is that kind of a suburban market? Yes. Okay. And you said you live in Franklin, right? We live on the farm. Oh, you live on the farm. Okay. So you're kind of... Uh, the. I don't know where I'm going with that. The second location came, what, as the population developed? The first location was Franklin. Oh, it was. And then the second location was Indianapolis. Okay, I got it backwards then. All right. Then I wanted to divide up and take away the events portion and so we started a, a third location. Oh, my goodness. That is a, a studio for events and weddings. So tell me, now, the third location isn't retail. It's just more of a production studio, right? It, it, is, it isn't open with regular mm-hmm. hours. It's open by appointment. We do weddings out of the Franklin shop also. But the Indianapolis weddings and events, I think it was probably through doing so many events for for the NFL and for the Super Bowl, that I just found that the retail and needing to meet with our clients and needing to separate inventory, that I needed another space, and it, it works out quite well. Well, you mentioned that to me yesterday when we were chatting about how if you don't have your well-defined space for your rentals for weddings and events, your um, designers on the retail side will come over and like, quote unquote, shop from that. And it messes up your inventory. Right, right. (laughs) Well, you go to do an event and it it is important in the event world that if you want to sell a party and they have 40 tables and you're thinking, I have 40 of this one container. Right. And you're going by your inventory sheet <laughs> and you go and you have 39, you're thinking, someone <laughs> took that 40 <laughs> um, That's amazing. Uh, your retail business is um, it, full service and every day, I mean, you, you run the gamut, right? Uh, is that... What is the snapshot of differentiating yourself? I would say your flowers that you grow is really differentiating J.P. Parker flowers in the marketplace. Is that, would you agree? Or I know it's probably great service and great design and all of those things. How, do, how would you describe that? Well, in, certainly in the growing season, mm-hmm. but we only do field crops. Okay. So, of course, then we have the winter so we, but we still like to grow local American or reach source, yeah, okay. source, local American product. In the winter months. In the winter yeah. months. And design, I would say, is something else that we've decided to have a brand in. We don't want our designs to be cookie cutter. Uh, we don't use any 
pre-done images by some sure. service, wire yeah. service or whatever. Yeah. We develop our own designs and put them on e-commerce. That sends a message, I think, to the consumer that it's uh, a little bit more luxury, a little bit more custom, um, and no one can... I mean, they're your photos, so no no one can truly replicate that because it's coming out of your creative team, right? Correct. Yeah. So you have an in-house photographer, or how do you do that? We do. Wow. We have in the past done some of our own photography. In fact, here at the conference, I've loved going to some of the photo editing and some of those classes, but each one of our locations has a small photo studio. Oh, my goodness. So we have a an area where we take pictures to us pictures we're a visual business right right so having a studio and a place that if one of our designers has created something that's just breathtaking breathtaking we want to have that Mm -hmm. documented Mm -hmm. and then we want it to be easy to document that we they just have to walk over and take a, a snapshot. It's of all it. set up. It's all set up. Wow. <clears throat> there are so many times where I see on a, a designer's Instagram feed some, you know, horrible photo of a bouquet saying, I ran out of time. I couldn't photograph it this properly before I had to deliver it or I had to set up a wedding. And it's it's heartbreaking because you know they're so proud of their work, but they can't portray it correctly. And I guess having a dedicated photo booth or whatever is, and and kind of ritualizing it so every employee knows they've got to go do this creates a library of photos that you would we do. you need to have. We so do smart. have that. It it takes more work and it takes more training cuz you've got to build in the time to do that, right? We, we have to, but it it also becomes a great habit. Mhm. We mm-hmm. are in the habit, you create something, you go over and you photograph it on either you know, your iPad that's mm-hmm. designated to do that, and then you put it on our Dropbox okay. and file it. Yeah. So we it takes a, a big system sure. Sure. to make sure that we've captured everything that we need to capture, then also filing it. And giving it a name, we're able to find it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So next year when you need to show yes. that. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it's 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 back to your secret sauce. It's the design-focused um, presentation that you're doing. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about your farm because that's when I first heard of you uh, through our mutual friend, Joellen Myers-Sharp, who's a journalist in Indianapolis. Where she's like, Deborah, you've got to meet this woman. She's got this very <laughs> successful floral business, but she grows peonies. And, um, you know, I just think that that's a bit of an anomaly. I think a lot of people want to dabble in a cutting garden, but maybe it's in their backyard and they have three roses you're growing at a scale that you could supply a large event with your peonies, right? We do. Wow. Like we, how many plants do you have? We have about 1,200 okay. now. Okay, wow. And then sunflowers, we we grow 300,000. We, we have that magic number that we buy, purchase 300,000 seeds every year, and we keep them 
from July through the first freeze. Wow. And then now we've started delving into, well, of course, you know, we've, we've kind of mastered that. So let's, what are you gonna have? let's do Liatris. Wow. Let's do Alien. Let's do some other things. We do those on smaller scale. Sure. But if we find that something's very successful, you know, different client, different soils and areas grow flowers differently. Yeah. You know, you, you we, might try it, but you have to try see. It, yeah. And if it doesn't particularly like our soil, but if we find a, a flower that just loves our soil and loves our, our growing, our conditions, our climate, we go all the way. Well, uh, you're clearly, your brand is associated with your peonies. And what is it about? Is the peony the state flower of Indiana? Yes. Okay, I thought so. So there's some real passion and loyalty from the consumer base for that, right? There is a history in Indiana on peonies that, you know, Back when we had, Memorial Day was called Decoration Day. Right. And that was when you would decorate, particularly a soldier's grave. Mm -hmm. And it was a time to remember the soldiers. Then it became the time to remember your grandma and everyone else. Lost family members. Well, times were not always so good. And so the flower that was in bloom at Memorial Day, Decoration Day, were the peonies, and they became the flower for Decoration Day mm. and for May 30th. Mm. You're talking about even like when you were growing up, your, oh, or your parents. way before, yeah. way before in in the history, I'd, I'd say. Probably in the 19th right century after even. after Civil War, maybe. Right, right. Um, it was the flower that, that was available. Yeah. And that's when they would put them in their mason jars and take them to the cemeteries. And there was also a market for them. Mm. There were several peony growers that were like, could be any farm family that decided to grow peonies because there was a market and several people shipped them. Yeah, probably, was probably they were serving Chicago or other they Midwest were. cities. Wow. Right, because we just happened to have an earlier crop than Chicago. Interesting. Or north. Yeah. So So now, though, um, uh, it seems like people anticipate peony season and expect that J.P. Parker flowers will have a great selection. And, and do, like, how do you sell them and market them? Do people just buy peony arrangements or, or do you sell them by the bunch or We sell the them above? both retail. <laughs> mm-hmm. We... We call them Parker Peonies. Oh, I love it. What a great friend. So we, as soon as they're available, we have our sign out front, you know, our little black board sign that says Parker Peonies are here. Wow. And then we also sell to the wholesalers if they, if there's someone who needs them. And then we always hope that we'll have, and it's never fail, that we'll have weddings and of course, now that coral and the peach colors are in, we luckily jumped on that a few years ago and started growing some peach and coral peonies. So all those Instagram followers are getting their fix. Yes. What's the range of date that you're able to harvest and sell peonies roughly? It, it changes every year. Okay. This year, it was a 
early 90 degrees in May, which really rocked our world. Yeah, not so good, huh? Well, they came on extremely fast, and we thought maybe we would have you know, a Sunday off or something, a little break in the crop. <laughs> but you, you were cranking it then. We were. In fact, one morning we were hoping that we told them not to show up because we were going to, we had picked so well that we thought we wouldn't have any really coming, you know, ready to harvest. And my husband and I looked out and there was, I think we harvested 7,000 that morning. <laughs> Just the two of you. We actually... We're able to get one more, so three of us <laughs> wow. harvested seven thousand. Oh my gosh! And like they just were cranky. They were well, budding up so 90 fast. Ninety degrees. We don't have that normally in right. May, so it's been such an unusual year, and it's different every yeah. year. It can be extremely cold, and it'll they'll hold to May thirtieth, mm-hmm. and they'll make it to May thirtieth, and we'll have. You know, beautiful flowers for longer. Into the June it, weddings. It, every year yeah. is different, but we always kind of count on them from May, say, 10th through, well, and we have a special way where you can cold storage right, them. Right, right. So we keep them through June. You can hold them through June. You can hold them. Do you ever get them early enough for Mother's Day? I know in Seattle, that's everybody's like holding their breath. Maybe we'll get lucky this we year. We did this year. Wow. Because of the heat. Because of the heat. Yeah. It's so interesting. I just had this conversation with Diane Sukavati of, of uh, the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, and she, we were just, she was just saying, we have the best peonies in the Pacific Northwest. Mm. I know there's so many growers who produce them um, at, that, at the co-op, but um, they, the, next, the next thing that she's focusing on is how to make them so uh, hot in the marketplace that people will pay a fair price for them. Like her analogy was the Chinook River salmon that come out of Alaska, mm-hmm. where like people have waiting parties at restaurants for you know, like they're paying ridiculous amounts of money for those. So I think the pe- we're just noodling on that. Like how do we get a Parker Peony kind of brand in another market? Uh, because you've obviously you've got trained, well trained customers who are anticipating those peonies. We do. That's so neat. And we we hit the markets. You know, we use several ourselves because that's when we would normally be buying for our, our own weddings right. that we're producing. Right. And events. So uh, yeah. we have what them a- you know, of our own. And the, the price always fluctuates from... Before they become big in the market, mostly, well, they're starting the Carolinas and then they mm. come up through the south and then they hit Indiana. And we love the fact that the Chicago market doesn't have them yet because we can get a high price in the Chicago to market. To sell so to a wholesaler. A, it's a commodity. Yeah. yeah. And, and you were telling me also the sunflowers have, you've tried to have this like long availability of sunflowers. Sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't, but you, you make it you make it to your advantage regardless, right? We grow so many that we gamble. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's less of a gamble because we have so many of them. Yeah, and, and the seeds are a little bit less expensive than peony roots. Correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Correct. And it's, it's a quick annual. Mm-hmm. It's 
easy. You know, we we actually it's not quite, very different from our corn crops, and we use a corn planter. Um, so you're getting like these rows that are very standardized. Very, wow. Very much like the corn crop. How many varieties are you growing of sunflowers? We only we keep it to the Sunbright series. Okay. We do some some of the teddy bear series, but we found that we have the best luck with the the generic, beautiful, familiar. We want yeah. it to be the most healthy, long lasting variety of the what you have in your mind and the public has in their mind of mm-hmm. the sunflower. Mm-hmm. We grow some of the others just for novelty, but they don't do nearly as well. If we take, Interesting. we do farmer's markets, right. and we'll take a, maybe a 1,000 to a market, and some uh, most of them will be the regular um, type of sunflower, and then we'll take some of the other varieties. And surprisingly, people go to the, they want the basic sunflower. Does the brown-centered one always sell better than the, like, the green or yellow-centered one? I, yes. I mean, even though designers like to have maybe a little bit softer yes. palette, maybe you can use those in your arrangements. But straight bunches. Straight bunches. Don't mess with it. People, the, the public themselves, they may, say they want to mix them up because mm-hmm. we sell them by the stem. They'll buy 10 of the regular type of sunflower, and then maybe they'll pick up two at the green center, whereas so, designers may want them all to be unusual. Right, right, or the chocolate ones or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you're selling at two farmer's markets? Yes. Jeez, how are you doing all this, Pam? You, you're, you, it's a family business, but it sounds like you're really you're the CEO. Yes. And is your sister involved at all anymore? She retired. Okay. But you, didn't, her, you didn't retire her initial, though. <laughs> no, it took a while. But her, actually, her daughters are involved. Oh, fun. And my nieces both do the farmer's markets. Okay. And so yes. they're, um, they're bringing either the peonies and, uh, early in the season, and then they segue into the sunflowers. Yes. And then you said this other variety that you're growing of just uh, interesting summer annuals that can be used for bouquets. We make bouquets. Okay. We'll start making bouquets on Thursday and Friday and then be and mostly my nieces and then we're ready for the Saturday morning early morning. Yeah. Uh, Market. farmers markets. Wow. It makes this vertically integrated integrated business model that very very few retail florists at your scale are doing it. I've, I really haven't come across anybody else who's growing like you're growing. I did talk to a couple here at Society of American Florists that they know it's such a hot item to have farm to base. Yeah. Locally grown. Locally yeah. grown that they actually are sourcing from local growers to bring it into their company and actually looking for someone to grow for them. Like a custom growing thing. Yes. Yeah. Because Why not? And, and I think we're going to see that. We're going to see that, and, and I hope we do, because I, what a great thing for us. Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing through the Slow Flowers community, there's a, a lot of uh, kind of entrepreneurial retail florists who 
they maybe can't source everything locally, but they create a page on their website that says meet our farmers and they'll showcase, you know, their three to five most regular suppliers and their, you know, there's this trust level between, I think the, the farmer and the florist where the farmer doesn't want to deal with the public and necessarily Correct. they're happy to have the florist buy from them. So, so the florist has a trust level that their customers aren't going to like maybe do a, uh, and run around them and go try to buy at the you know direct from the farmer because a lot of these farmers don't have public hours or public access. But it, it benefits the florist brand to say we're supporting the local economy by buying from these wonderful micro farms or boutique farms. It is. It's the smart thing to do for retail florists right now. Well, to I know local. Well, I noticed. Uh, wait, say that again. I cut you off. <laughs> well, it's a smart thing for the retail florist to do to buy from the local market. Right. Um, one, of my reaction to that was that even on I see on your website you have uh, under about us you have a whole tab for our farm, mm-hmm. and people can click over and see luscious photos of what you're growing, um, and that kind of. Uh, reinforces what you just said about your story of local in Indianapolis. I feel like when I was there a couple years ago, it was a real foodie scene. People do care about where their their chef what their chefs are sourcing. So you kind of have the culture and the environment where people are already thinking about local on on many levels, right? Yes, and our farmers markets are seeing more and more. Uh, farmers come mm-hmm. with bouquets and with flowers. Really, it's very much increased. Okay, with it started with the vegetables. Sure, that came yeah. local in in the whole farmers market movement. But now we're seeing more people who have some. It doesn't take much land to grow right local. Do it product. half half an acre. Do, yeah. So do you not? You're not threatened by that, or don't see that as competition. You're you're find seeing more options for I, people. I am never threatened by that because mine might have had too much water. You know, we might have had a rainstorm. Or mm. it, it it never pays to be threatened. Mm-hmm. It's always, mm. I, I feel like it's only good for the, the whole market and industry that we not be threatened by each other. Now, cost, cost, I think sometimes uh, someone might start growing and they underestimate their value. Absolutely. Now that is bothersome because yeah. you're just shooting yourself in the foot. And you're hurting everybody's perception yes. of flowers yes. then, right? That's, that's a whole nother issue. But to have just people who know what the cost should be and show up, that's fine with yeah. me. I feel like everybody struggles with that in their marketplace. And when it, when it, as people become more mature as farmers and become more professional, they're going to realize they have to raise their prices to sustain their businesses. Well, it's not like you have big margins to work with anyway. Right, right. And you actually know in the long run they're going to be raising their prices. But for that period, who wouldn't go buy theirs at a less mm-hmm. of a price. So we kind of, at farmer's markets, you know, we kind of, oh, yeah. here comes a new guy and they're, yeah. they're, they, they're not valuing really what their time's worth. 
Sure. I mean, I hear that. I mean, I see that happen in the wedding event and event space too with studio florists who Mm -hmm. maybe are just starting out and they're bidding. They're not bidding correct pricing. So they're going to, A, they're going to either burn out or B, they're going to just hurt everybody else. So, I mean, it's one of those awkward conversations that when professional groups come together, hopefully then best practices can be established. And, uh, I think that you're enduring. You've you've outlasted some of these well, splashes in the pan. I band. was going to say that I think the secret to it all is being a survivor. Mm-hmm. You have to account for the the flash in the pans, mm-hmm. and the, they will always be there. And you have to have your brand that people say oh, we want your label on our on our bouquet. Or and are your labels, wedding. do they say J.P. Parker Flowers? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, you have to build that trust and that label branding. So survival. Yeah. Showing up, being consistent. So being consistent and caring about the customer. Yeah. That's the customer service side of it. Uh, yeah. I was just thinking about that. Like your customer service is you, you invest in training and you have kind of, environment that encourages your employees to do the right thing. And, you know, it's, it's the culture of your mm-hmm. business. That's cool. I've learned a lot talking to you. I want to know what you've got coming up next. What What's on deck for, for Pam Parker? I'm very excited to get back to Indianapolis. <laughs> this has been beautiful. I've got a little tan and, you know. A little been, R&R. A little R&R. And now I'm almost... I don't know if the employees are happy that I'm going to be coming back and all fired up. <laughs> you mentioned that you've been texting them saying... I've been texting them already like, oh, just wait. I can't wait. I'll see you Monday. I've got a new social media strategy. <laughs> <laughs> and it it is mostly about e-commerce that I'm interested in and have been interested in in this, in this convention and conference. All design and you know is pretty much not you know I've learned some things yeah but, but you mostly, know your aesthetic yeah mostly it's the the whole e-commerce social media and how we're selling now and we have to be prepared to sell you know people are buying from their mm-hmm. their phone their iPhone their they're Mobile, not. They yeah. don't necessarily want to call us and right. spend that time on the telephone. Right. So how do you make the choices really obvious with all this great photography that they can just click and and voila, they get the the arrangement sent to their their girlfriend for her birthday kind of thing. We're hoping that through the increasing our quality of Instagram, Facebook, being Pinterest. All of that and having the the links and the abilities to get to us, and we're selling online just much, much more than we ever mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. So we're that's why I'm ex- that's in the future. Yeah, because I've not had that yet. You know, we've had it, but, but you, not you know important. that you can ramp up. We're needing to raise the bar. And make sure that we're keeping up and that we're we're there. Yeah, that's so exciting. So that's that's and I have become very. 
I'm glad that this conference was inspiring mm-hmm. and spoke to what I was looking for because I am so anxious to get oh. back and and just put some of these things to work. I'm excited to see what you do. And I'm so glad that we connected and that you're willing to let me whip out this recorder and, and capture a conversation. Oh, I'm delighted. Yeah. And we'll, we'll uh, make sure we share photos of your, what you're doing at the retail level and at the farm level and, um, some maybe a few weddings and share your social places so people can find and follow JP Parker flowers and uh, hashtag Indiana grown, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Local. Thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. so much for joining me today and learning from a very experienced retail florist who has built her entire business on the origins of flower farming. The fact that I came to last week's conference with no guest lined up for today's show and that I miraculously found myself there seated next to someone who had been wanting to recruit to join our community, well, that was pure kismet. Pam refers to her luck of the Irish woman, so I'll claim that luck for myself. I'm one quarter Irish after all. You never know where and who I'll bump into and who becomes my next guest. It could be you. Our next sponsor spotlight thanks goes to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Now, let's visit Oklahoma and meet Terry Barr of Wild Lark Farm. Wild Lark Farm is located about 30 miles northeast of Tulsa. Its tagline is this, seasonal cut flowers from the heart of green country. Wild Lark Farm is a small family farm committed to growing specialty and heirloom flowers. By using a mindset of sustainability, Terry is focused on the best of what Oklahoma has to offer from mid-May to the end of October. She says, Flowers are what we love to do. They lift spirits and bring joy to countless lives, and we are honored to be part of it. All of our flowers are grown using organic methods, which promote a healthy environment for both people and pollinators. In keeping with the nature of Oklahoma farming, we strive to make the land better than we found it. Let's jump right in and meet Terry. Well, I'm so excited today to be visiting Oklahoma and my special guest for our 50 States of Slow Flowers series today is Terry Barr of Wild Lark Farm in Claremore, Oklahoma. Hi, Terry. Hi. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You bet. Well, we had a few technical difficulties, but we are clear sound and um, (laughs) going live here. Um, Terry, I'm so glad you're part of Slow Flowers. Um, As we were chatting before we started recording, I know there's been a a history for local flowers in Oklahoma in some pockets, but uh, tell us about your farm. How long ago did you start uh, Wild Lark? And, And give us a snapshot. Okay, so Wild Lark really has only been around officially. This will be the second year um, I have been growing flowers for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really wanted to have a place that people could 
recognized via Instagram or Facebook um, as a place where they could officially buy from like not just someone down the street, but an actual place they can come. So that's where, oh, wow. that's where we're at right now. You, you want it to be a destination farm then? Absolutely. Yes. Right now we kind of, um, I've had people, so many emails, people want to come and, you know, pick their own, but we're not set up for that yet. But I kind of do a mix where my florists who are my current uh, market, they come and they cut their own. Wow. Yeah. Have you had to train them a little bit or um, <laughs> do you trust them? <laughs> I do. Um, a lot of them, I mean, if they don't know, they are fantastic about, they want to learn. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just like, we're all learning something new. Mm -hmm. So when they come and they're unsure, I give them a short tutorial and then I just set them free. And it's been fantastic. Wow. That Congratulations. That sounds like a great model for many reasons. One is they love your flowers and they're buying from you, but you're two, I guess, would be you're developing some pretty deep relationships that they're committed to your success. Yes, that's definitely, I mean, it's, you know, everyone likes to, oh, the saying is, you know, know your farmer. Mm -hmm. And with this model, I can't, I know them, you know, I can suggest things that they might like and they know me. And so I think that relationship is very important. How big is your farm then? So my property is actually 40 acres, but right now we grow on probably an acre okay. of that. Okay. And Wild Lark, you said that your farm is, well, you mentioned to me at Claremore is about 30 minutes outside of Tulsa, which is a big metro market. So they're willing, mm -hmm. the, the, most of your direct-to-florist customers are willing to drive out to Claremore um, to just to get their hands on your flowers. Yes. So I have a few in Tulsa mm -hmm. that will come maybe, you know, once a week or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then I have some in the smaller communities around, mm. and it's also the same setup. That's cool. That's cool. I don't know why I assumed they were all in Tulsa, but they're they're all over that greater Tulsa mm -hmm. geographic region. Um, well, you, exactly. I mean, for being only your second year, Terry, I'm I'm impressed that you have these relationships built up all already, and uh, you know, it's I want people to learn how to how to do it themselves. Uh, oh, did you just cold call, or did you take samples, or how did you kick? kick kick this off um so it was actually there was a new um place in claremore that was opening up and it was going to be their grand opening and i had no idea who they were or even what they did <laughs> but i brought in the best bucket of dahlias that i had and said you know just try them out if you like them let me know and then they told all their friends and then people were asking me so really it was just a cold call. Wow. I just was like, well, like, you know, they can say no and that's fine. But yeah, it was, it was great. What kind of business was it after all? Um, they, their name is Crooked Roots Design and they do a lot of weddings, mm, mm -hmm. um, and events and things like that. So, but I didn't know, mm -hmm. um, who they were because they had been working, you know, out of a small studio. Um, mm. but yeah, it was, it was fantastic and they were very kind. So they're like a wedding and event planning company or yes. production company. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. that's a perfect fit for you. I love that. Is oh, it, yeah. Is your flowers can, I mean, I, I think that's a good example to say flowers can sell themselves if, you know, if you take the, <laughs> the leap of cold calling and showing up with a bouquet. 
Absolutely. Hmm. Um, so what is your, what is your, you mentioned dahlias, that's sort of toward the end of your season. What is your full season kind of a range of flowers that you're growing? Um, so right now we start in the spring um, with Icelandic poppies and stock, and then we move, in, oh, and foxglove, mm. and then we move into the summer, which it gets incredibly hot here. Mm. So zinnias, celosia, all the heat-loving things mm-hmm. um, do really well here. And then, like you said, this is toward the end of our season, so the zinnias are winding down, but the dahlias are starting to pick up. Um, so that's really anything heat-loving does exceptionally well here. Right. And that's what we focus on. Right. And then you just go strong until the first frost, I would imagine. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And is that, when is that, like toward the end of October or even later? Usually, uh, I believe last year was like the 15th of November. So early to mid-November. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Terry, at Wild Lark, are you all field grown or do you have some structures? No, we are all field grown uh. here. Wow. Very cool. Well, uh, okay. I can picture these flowers. We're going to get some beautiful photos to share on our show notes today so people can see what we're talking about. Um, but <laughs> I want to know your backstory. How, how did you fall into flowers a couple of years ago? So um, as a kid, I grew up in Kansas on a farm um, and my parents had an enormous garden mm-hmm. and I actually didn't enjoy doing it because it was there was lots of weeds, and when you're a kid and it's hot, it's just not a fun thing to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but my mom, when we would go to the local nursery, my mom would let my sisters and I pick out any flowers we wanted. And so, you know, you pick out the most outrageous colored ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she never, she never said no. And so we could plant them and take care of them. And then, you know, as I got older, it was just something I realized to remember that mm. and like how happy it made me and how much fun I had with those flowers. Um, and then so when we got this property, I was like, I'm going to do it. Mm. You know, I had seen other flower farms. I'm like, I can do this. Wow. You know, this is what gives me joy. Wow. So you're so, really drawing. that's how we got started. Yeah. You're really drawing on that um, family history of growing up with garden parents who gardened. And so you kind of, mm-hmm. you probably knew more than you realized you knew. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, once you... Even if you step out of it for a few years, once you get back in, it just comes back. Mm-hmm. It's natural mm-hmm. to do that. So, yeah, wow. it was great. So other than selling to um, direct-to-florists, are you doing farmer's markets? Or I know you mentioned maybe at some point you'd have a U-Pick. What, what are your other channels? So I don't do farmer's markets right now. Um, there's there's one that's getting started, but it's not it's not an ideal fit for me right now. Um I'm going to, next year we're getting started, we're going to be able to have some on-farm events Mm. just to open it up more to the public because it seems to be so many people just want that experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I've had to say no this year, but it's really become important to me to be able to share, you know, what we have here with more people. So do you do CSAs or... um you know, anything direct to consumer right now, other than friends, probably? Um, Not right now. It's uh, like you say, friends and family get little bouquets. But right now, my main source is to the florists and different wedding event designers. Yeah. Well, that's, that's top dollar. That makes sense. Um, And I, Mm -hmm. and I imagine as you're looking at these on-farm events, it's just a really all about 
costing out the event so that the flowers are paid for, but that also your time is paid for. And also hopefully there's a little bit of income that comes on top of that. I mean, that's, if, if this is a, a kind of a new model for the greater Tulsa area out to Claremore, maybe you're going to have to set, you know, set the pricing to fit you. And then uh, no, mm-hmm. who's, who, who's competing? No one else is doing this. So, you know, you don't have to be super, I don't know, cautious about your pricing. No, and I've worked with the relationships that I've developed with some of my uh, florists. We are on, we're planning to collaborate. So it will be a a workshop in which people can come. I will teach them about the flowers. um, And then the florist will give a, you know, a short demonstration on how to use local flowers to make bouquets or centerpieces, um, things of that nature. Mm. So it really wants to, you know, it's an educational plus just, you know, being among flowers and yeah. learning events. Yeah. So, Do, how, yeah. yes, exactly. I mean, it's just, it's perfect to collaborate. I, I really applaud you for that because then they're, they have skin in the game and the florists want to promote you um, to their clients. Mm-hmm. Or, and, you know, I also find that mm-hmm. people who, I hear from florists that if they have uh, a really happy wedding client, couple or bride who's just like buys into the whole idea of supporting local flower farming, then they kind of become customers, long-term customers. Like they want to engage with those flowers mm-hmm. and through events would be perfect. Exactly. That's exciting. Exactly. Oh, that's great. I look forward to seeing what you're going to do. How are you, how are you going to um, like, how's the event? Do you have a structure like a barn or are you going to use, um, under a tree or pop-up tents or have you thought that through yet it'll be in a barn we're, we're actually in the process of getting one built at the moment oh my gosh um, but yeah because it's <laughs> that'd be great it's so hot in oklahoma like you really need a place that's cool to to really enjoy mm. your time mm. out here mm-hmm. wow so, oh, wow so your goal is to get that up for next season yeah wow that's great uh, so you mentioned that you've got this support from Flores and other, you know, obviously customers of theirs or your friends and family all want to come out to Wildlark. So it sounds like there's a, a kind of an acceptance or understanding of what you're doing. Like you don't have to explain the benefits of local flowers to as maybe as many people as you would have had to five years ago. I mean, have you sensed a little bit of a shift in the marketplace? I have. Um, you know, there's still some people who, you know, question your sanity <laughs> what, and what you're trying to do. Um, but for the most part, people are extremely excited about having local flowers. Mm. Um, you know, there's a, a shift where I've had a few floors tell me that they want, you know, in the next three to five years, they want to source, you know, like 80% mm. locally. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a, a huge appreciation for it here. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. I guess you've got to grow now that you have, you've got more, more land, you can satisfy that demand as in kind of an organic way and not, not put yourself into like crazy mode, but gradually increase your acreage <laughs> every season. Exactly. Yes. We, you know, we started small because we, you know, I'm just testing the waters, but it's been, everyone has been extremely receptive. And so that has allowed us, you know, to make plans, go a little bit bigger next year. And then like five years out, increase more. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's been fantastic. 
That's so cool. Terry, are you going to diversify into, I don't know, woodies or, or perennials, or is it just not, a, I mean, what's Oklahoma's growing environment like for non-annuals? It's, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the weather here can be very variable and we get a lot of thunderstorms and things like that. So, um, probably the woodies would probably stand the best chance mm-hmm. of surviving mm-hmm. our climate out here. So that's our main goal in the next two to three years is to get those started, you know, get them growing. Mm-hmm. Um, so for right now we do primarily annuals until those woodies can mature mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously you've got the dahlias, which are kind of, you treat as annuals, right? Yes. Because yes. you have to dig them up. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It gets too cold here in the winter, unfortunately. Well, before we started recording, I told you I was going to um, ask you kind of what's on deck for next year, but I think you've maybe hinted at it a little bit, but the construction of the barn is kind of your big thing for 2020. Yes. So hopefully, I'm hoping by the end of this year, the structure will be up and we can finish it out early next year so that it will be ready in time for some of these events that we hope to do. Mm. But yes, we're hoping to just make the farm a little bit more accessible um, since we're planning on having people, you know, come out um, and just uh, increase, you know, grow it a little bit more to accommodate extra people. And that's great. And really kind of promote some activities. Yeah. Well, just, wow, we're excited. Yeah. And just become an education center that your designers want to collaborate with uh, your design customers. Um, and, they can't offer what you can offer. You've got the unique experience on the farm that, you know, is sort of incomparable to just going to, mm-hmm. I mean, going to a design studio is fun for me too, but going to a flower farm is a little more fun. So <laughs> I, I yeah. can only imagine. <laughs> well, very fun to meet you. I hope I get to come visit sometime. And Terry, will you share us some photos of Wild Lark and what you're doing there? I know people can follow you on Instagram. I'll make sure I share all your social places in our show notes. Uh, but I want to make sure we put a face on this conversation. Yes, absolutely. Great. Thank you so much for giving us a little peek into Oklahoma. I'm, I'm excited because I think you're at the forefront of uh, a bigger presence for local flowers. I'm sure there are other small or emerging flower farmers popping up. Uh, you finding out about kind of, you know, like not, not like you have a way to connect with people unless you meet them on, on Instagram probably. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. That's cool. Thank you so much, Terry. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. for joining us. Check out photos of Terry and find links to her social places in today's show notes at deborahprincing.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 522,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support, and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation. 
to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. Our final spotlight features Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of family farms in the heart of Alaska, working together to grow and distribute fresh, stunning, high-quality peony varieties during the months of July and August, and even September. Arctic Alaska Peonies operates three pack houses supplying peonies throughout the U.S. and Canada. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.